Thank you for tuning in to listen to this week's sermon at Bethel Church. Every week, Pastor Jeremy Dean delivers a powerful message rooted in Scripture, a heart for the gospel, and a love for God and His church. We also hope you check out the Bethel Church podcast, which release on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. throughout the year. To learn more about Bethel Church, you can visit lovingbethel.com. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Here's Pastor Jeremy Dean. If you have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. That's where we're going to be this morning. I tell you, every single one of those songs just preached my message. Amen? It was great, great stuff. Man, it's such good news today. We celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And as we go through Mark 16 and we read this text together, what we're going to see is that what, what, what Jesus has for you, what Jesus did for you, is the greatest story ever told. It is the greatest news you could ever hear. And I know I sound like a frog right now. Do I sound like a frog right now? <laughs> um, we're going to get through this, I promise. Right? But Mark chapter 16, take a look at verse 1. We're going to read that together. <clears throat> when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And they went and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. This time we get to gather to hear your word, to sing such beautiful songs, to lift your name up all because of what we're reading this morning. Because of this wonderful news that you did not remain in the tomb. That you did not remain lifeless. But Lord, you rose from the dead and you conquered the grave and you've delivered us from sin and death. And for that, we praise you. We honor you. And we ask, Lord, this morning that you teach us from your word and help us to understand what it means to follow you as our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you're taking notes, there's a note-taking guide in your worship guide. And the big idea this morning is simply this, that Jesus died to forgive us of our sins and he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. That's the big idea. That's really what it's all about. And hopefully as we unpack this, we're going to see what does that really mean and what does it really mean for me today? What does it mean for me tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday? How does the resurrection of Jesus really affect my every day? Now for Mary, the, for the women that we see in verse 1, for Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, on this particular given day, it was a sad day. Jesus had died on Friday. That was Good Friday just a couple of days ago. He died on the cross. And as we saw last week, 
He really died. It wasn't, he didn't fake it. He didn't, he didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He really was crucified. Jesus, the Son of God, literally came into this world and endured the cross and all of its humiliation for you and for me, and he died on that Friday. But on that Sunday, something amazing happens. Now, Mary, the mother, Mary Magdalene, the Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they expected that Jesus would be in the tomb. They get up on Sunday morning and they, got, they had bought spices because Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, when they had taken the, the body of Jesus down on that Friday, they quickly kind of you know, spiced him up and, and, and embalmed him and took him to the tomb and laid him there. But Saturday was a special day in, in the Jewish calendar. It's the Sabbath, and you were not allowed to do any particular work and things like that on the Sabbath, and so they couldn't do anything more to his body, and they were, must have been in a hurry on Friday when they took him down. And so on Sunday morning, these women were going to the tomb, and they were taking spices to kind of finish the job. And they expected to find certain things when they got there. They expected that when they got to the tomb that Jesus' body would be in there. They expected when they got there that, that his body would, be, would begin to decay. Maybe there would be an odor. It's already been three days. They expected that the stone, this large stone, would still be covering the entrance of the tomb. They expected that that morning would be a time of loss, a time of heartache, a time of brokenness. We've been there. This is, before we get to the good news, this is really the bad news. You know, if you're taking notes, I'll put it this way, that we know that the world we live in is broken. You've probably experienced loss. You've probably experienced sorrow. You've probably experienced what it means to struggle and have pain. Perhaps it was when you lost a job. Or maybe when your dreams went unmet. What you thought you were going to gain, what you thought you were going to have, it, it fell through. Maybe wealth disappears. Maybe you had financial troubles and those sorts of struggles. Maybe a marriage or a relationship fell apart and broke. Our health doesn't often just get better. Over time, sadly and unfortunately, it gets worse. Someone we love dies. We turn the news on and we see wars and division and conflict. We can't get away from it. The world we live in is broken, and that is the bad news. And the reason it is broken is because of sin, what the Bible calls sin, which really is rebellion against God. It's, it's us doing things our own way. There's a verse in Scripture in Proverbs chapter 14. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. 
the suffering and the pain and the brokenness, the destruction and the death that we experience in this world is a result of our rebellion against God, our choosing to do things our way rather than choosing to do things God's way. And that is always, always settling for less. Because what God has intended for us and what God has shown us in His Word is always going to be better than anything we can dream up on our own. But yet we still try to fix our brokenness. We recognize this brokenness in our lives. We recognize these, this, this bad news in our lives. And we try to pursue the fix. We try to restore it. We try to make it right. We, we would rather pursue the gains in life. I mean, every day we don't just sit there and sulk in the brokenness. We're trying to, to make it better. We're trying to numb it. We're trying to avoid it. We're trying to fix it, to restore it, whatever it may be. We're trying to get rid of the brokenness in our lives. We try to control it on our own, get our finances back in order, learn how to live today without that loved one who passed away. We're always trying to fix it. But the reality is we can't. The reality is we can't fix it on our own. This verse, it says, there's a way that seems right to man. In other words, if I could just do this, if I can just indulge in these things, or if I can focus on this, if I can achieve that, or if I can earn this, if I only had more of this, then I wouldn't have that brokenness. I wouldn't have that pain. I wouldn't have that suffering. And that's what it's meant by there's a way that seems right to man because we try to do these things on our own. We try to resolve these things, but ultimately we fail. Its end is the way to death. These ladies who came to the tomb understood the reality that our world is broken very well. Because the one who had told them and taught them that he would give eternal life, that he would give them life abundantly, the one who had healed so many, the one who had forgiven sins of others, all of a sudden now is lying in a tomb. Where's the hope? Was it all for nothing? There was a time of mourning. They expected Jesus to be lying in that tomb. But we know that the tomb was empty. That Jesus is alive. Look at verses 4-6. through six. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. Something is happening here. So these women are going to the tomb expecting Jesus to be dead and they're going to be uh, adding these spices to His dead body. And they're wondering and asking the question, who is going to roll this stone away? And when they look up, they see that it is already moved. Now at this point, they're certainly probably not thinking that He's not in there. They may be thinking that someone else has come and rolled this stone away. And so they go inside, look at verse 5, and entering the tomb they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe, and they were startled. They were alarmed. 
They didn't know who this young man was. They didn't recognize this young man as being an angel. And this is what he said to them in verse 6. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. In other words, he was really dead. But he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So we know that the world we live in is broken and we feel the pain and the hardship of that almost every day. But we also know the tomb is empty. We know that Jesus is alive. Now, we know this not just because the Holy Scriptures tell us this. We don't just know this simply because Uh, the inerrant Word of God tells us, and that is enough for us to know and understand that He rose again. But it makes sense. There's other reasons to trust and know that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Many people thought or would say that maybe someone came and just stole His body away. What's interesting, I did a little study in this week to understand why that's not necessarily reasonable, that it's more reasonable to believe that Jesus rose from the dead than it is to believe that He was stolen simply for a couple of reasons. One, one, it, it happened in Jerusalem. His tomb was in Jerusalem. He was crucified in Jerusalem. It was a specific place and a specific time. It was only just a couple of days from Friday to Sunday, just three days And in that short amount of time, if someone had come and stolen the body, wouldn't it be reasonable to think that the enemies who had him crucified could could bring that body to bear? And to see that that body was there, they could locate it and find the ones who had actually stolen the body. But they couldn't. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, I think it's chapter 26, in verses 12 and 13, the enemies of Jesus actually attested to Jesus' empty tomb, that he was not there, because he told the the religious leaders, told the, the, the soldiers to let others know the disciples had come and stolen the body. Because they could not produce this body. The tomb was empty. But you know, it's interesting too that the testimony of the women is probably the most significant piece of evidence to show the tomb was empty because all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record that it was women who witnessed the empty tomb first. And in that day and time, women and their word wasn't credible. In their culture, they could not serve as a witness in 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 a courtroom because their word was not credible. In fact, to, to, to put your argument or to make your claim hang on the testimony of women would have been humiliating and, and really not a very credible piece of evidence. Yet Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record that it was women that saw the empty tomb first. They weren't trying to hide anything. When they wrote their Gospels, they wrote it to share the truth and give us what is true. They didn't fabricate or make up a story or invent a story to make it sound like it was true. No, they told it how it was. Now, why do I share these things with you? Because we know the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, and it's reasonable to trust and believe not only what the inerrant word of Scripture tells us, 
but also the evidence and the reasonability of where it was located and the testimony of these women. This tomb was empty. Why is that significant for us? Why does that matter to us? What does the resurrection really mean for us? We know that Jesus gives eternal life because he is alive. All the promises that Jesus made to us, we can trust in them because he is no longer in the tomb. He promised to give us eternal life, life that would not end a relationship with God. And we know that we can trust in Jesus because He is alive. In John 3.16, it says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. On the cross, Jesus paid our debt in full. And in the resurrection, He proved Himself true. That His promises are trustworthy. In the cross... We are forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. See, we know the world we live in is broken and we can't do anything to fix it. But Jesus came and died on that cross and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. In dying on the cross, He offered us the forgiveness of sins. When He forgives us, we know that He erases our wrongs. He forgets our record. He cancels our debt. He washes us clean. Our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. Our, our brokenness in this world is a result of our rebellion against God. And there was nothing that you and I can do to overcome that on our own. There's a way that seems right to man, but it's, way, it's, it's the end is death. But Jesus came and died in our place on the cross to forgive us of our sins. He came to right our wrongs. He came to fix our brokenness. And he doesn't count it against us anymore. We all have that past. We all have those times in our life that we regret. And there's guilt and there's shame. And sometimes it lingers and it nags at us. And like I said, we try to escape it and we try to numb it. But you know, in Jesus Christ, He doesn't hold that against you anymore. He came to remove that from you. As the song said, we are prisoners set free, that we are no longer bound by the shame and the guilt of our sin because Jesus paid it all. We have forgiveness. But it also says in that verse that we are redeemed in him we have redemption through his blood what's the idea of being redeemed it means to be bought back it means to be purchased when we talk about redemption what we're talking about is we were lost from god but he paid a price to bring us back into a relationship with him 
He did not desire for us to stay condemned or remain in our sin, but He made a way for us through Jesus Christ to be brought back into a relationship with Him. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, and, and, and kind of giving an analogy for, for what this sounds like or what, this, what, what we're talking about here with redemption. Does anybody like to travel? Yeah. There's some places I would love to go. I would love to go see, I'd love, I'd love to go to Europe, go, to, go, go see the Eiffel Tower, go to Rome, see the Colosseum, you know, maybe go see the Great Wall of China, stand on the Great Wall of China. Those kind of things would be really, really fun. What an experience it would be. Some of you may have done those things before. I haven't done any of those things as of yet, and I don't know that I really ever will get to do those things. But I can go on the internet and go look up those things and see pictures of the Great Wall of China, see pictures of the Eiffel Tower, see pictures of the Colosseum in Rome. But there's something about looking at the picture that doesn't quite bring the same satisfaction as actually being there. Just because I saw it on the picture, and it was, it was pretty. It was, in fact, I could probably find nicer pictures on the Internet than if I actually went there and took a picture, right? I mean, just the way they're doctored up and filtered up, right? I can find excellent pictures of these things, but that's not the same as actually being there. See, the idea of redemption is that when we fell in our sin... We fell away from God's grace and we fell away from real love and mercy and peace and justice. And in this broken world, there's pictures of what love looks like and what joy is and there's pictures of what hope is and there's pictures of peace and strength and goodness and kindness and we can get these images, but apart from Christ, they're just pictures and glimpses of the real thing. See, redemption is Jesus forgiving us of our sins and not counting those things against us anymore so that in Him we might have life and have it to the fullest. That we would be brought out from under the weight of sin, that the chains that held us in sin are broken and we can find new life in Christ and begin to experience and recover and pursue the real thing and not settle for the pictures that we long for. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he, he rose to give us eternal life. If you're taking notes, it says... We know Jesus' death and resurrection was God's plan all along. Take a look at chapter 16, verse 7. It says, but go tell his disciples, this is the angel inside the tomb, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We know Jesus' death and resurrection was God's plan all along. Look, it didn't catch God by surprise on that Friday when they nailed him to the cross. It didn't catch God by surprise on that Friday when he breathed his last. And it certainly did not catch God by surprise when he rose from the dead on the third day. This was God's plan all along. 
This is what He wanted for us ever since the Garden of Eden when we rebelled against God. And since it was God's plan all along, we need to treat the resurrection as if it matters to us every single day. That what God wanted and dreamed for you and for me was not just a moment in time of good news, but good news every day. That the resurrection of Jesus is important for you and I, not just on that day in the past when I gave my life to Christ when I was seven years old or nine years old or 29 years old. But the gospel of Jesus Christ matters each and every day. It's actually the resurrection was just the beginning. It was the beginning of this new life in Christ. Jesus actually told the, the, the disciples in Mark chapter 14, verse 28. You can turn there if you want to. This is a page backwards. In chapter 14, verse 28, he told them, this is before the crucifixion, he said to Peter, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. See, Jesus even knew before he was crucified that he would be meeting the disciples in Galilee at the, after the resurrection. That's why the angel told the ladies, go and tell the disciples and tell Peter that he will see you in Galilee just as he told you. This is his plan all along. This is what he wanted for you from the very beginning. And the resurrection is not simply just something we, we, we remember from way back, but it's not, and it's not something we just celebrate on Easter. It is something we celebrate and live on and run on and find our strength in every single day. I heard someone give an analogy one time about running track. And when they run, run, run track, these, these runners, these sprinters, they, they start out in these blocks. And so there's these wooden blocks that they kind of put their feet against. And the reason for those blocks was to give them a good, head, a good start when they launch off of those blocks and into the race. Once they launch off of those blocks, the, somebody comes and they pull those, those blocks off the track and the runners are running around the track and running the race. Sometimes we treat the resurrection as if it is the starting blocks of our life. Sometimes we treat the resurrection of Jesus as if it was that one simple moment, that one simple time. It just started, it was there, and then we just run. And we run this race in our own strength and in our own way, doing our own thing. But the reality is, the gospel is not the starting blocks in our life. The gospel is the very track that we run on. That every time our foot hits the pavement, every time we land on the gospel, every time in, in life, whether it's the, the pain, or if it's the joy, if it's the struggle, or if it's the good times, as we live our lives every single day, we are finding our strength and our support in the gospel under our feet. It was God's plan all along that we would live and move and breathe in the gospel. In Colossians, Paul says it this way, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
Jesus rose, he died on the cross, and he rose again to give you new life. The resurrection changes everything. That all that he promised for you, all that he wants for you, the, the, the idea that he can rescue you from your sin, that he can rescue you from your pain, that he can fix and restore what is broken in your life, that he can give you hope, the promise of a relationship with God and being made right with him is all because of his resurrection. And every single day, we live by that. And it's a new life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says this, and I often quote this when someone's baptized. It says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. He came to rescue you from the sin, the deception, the destruction, and ultimately the death that chains us. And he rose again, conquering all of that. Jesus is alive. He's no longer in the, in the tomb. Amen? Now, I want to wrap this up with the last few verses. In, in Mark chapter 16, take a look at verse 15. Jesus, when he, he's appeared to Mary Magdalene, he's appeared to the disciples, and, and in this when he's appearing to the disciples, he says this in verse 15. He said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We know the world needs Jesus. That means I need Jesus. That means you need Jesus. It means that those who are outside these walls right now in our community, in our workplaces, they need Jesus. They need to hear the good news that Jesus died for them, that he rose to give them new life, that they don't have to live in the shame and the guilt and the heartache and the struggle and the brokenness anymore because the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive, and he can give them eternal life that begins every day from here on out. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this, that when you give your life to Christ, when you, when, you, when you confess your sins to him and you turn away from those things and you turn to Jesus as Lord of your life, your new life begins in that moment. It's not something we wait for in the future when we die and we pass on to go to the next life. It's not that. It's, not, it's, it's that we trust in him every single day that new life is now. So what does this mean for us? I'm going to invite Christy and Josh to come forward. But in these few moments that we have, as they get ready to play this song, this is a time when we respond to God's word. This is a time when we respond to what we have heard him say to us. We celebrate Jesus is alive today. That he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and he rose again to give us eternal life. And that new life begins today. And if you don't have Jesus in your life, if you aren't living every single day with him and your feet are landing on the hard gospel and for that strength and support every day, if you're not walking in this new life that he has given you, I'd encourage you in these moments to pray 
to turn away from the things you're holding on to, to turn away from the way that seems right to you, but its way is the, it ends in death, to turn to Jesus, to trust in Him, put your faith in Him, to ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to be Lord of your life. Maybe if it's the first time you do that today, your eternal life begins today. But church, as, you, as you're listening into this, if you're not walking with Him every single day, that if everything in your life is not found in Christ, turn those things over to Him. This is a time when we pray. They're going to be playing some music. But as they play, I encourage you to pray and respond to God as He would have you. If you want to come to the front and pray, that is fine. You probably don't want to come talk to me. Maybe you can find somebody in your pew to talk with. Let's pray together.